Let me ask you, have you ever seen something and asked the question, what in the world is that for? Maybe it's some tool or some kind of device you're looking at and go, I have no idea what that thing is used for. Uh, sometimes I've seen that in, in uh, news reports where archaeologists will dig up something from a couple thousand years ago, and uh, it won't be completely in its uh, original form, and they'll, they'll say, well, this is something we found, and we have an idea that might have been used for this, but you really don't know, uh, and it looks like something that you know, doesn't resemble anything that we're used to. I think probably one of the best examples of this, though, uh, can be found in the uh, classic The Little Mermaid. I don't know if you remember Ariel's song. It's, I'm not going to sing it. So, she's saying, I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's-its and what's-its galore. And uh, one of the pieces of treasure that she had was called a dingle hopper. You may remember that, which Ariel used to brush her hair. It was actually a fork. Uh, her friend Scuttle was the uh, so-called expert under, under the sea who would explain to her everything that she found. And one of them was a tobacco pipe. I don't know how many of you smoke tobacco pipes, but uh, I had a professor who used to do that actually in class. I'm not sure he was supposed to do that, but he did. And so he had this tobacco pipe, and uh, Ariel's friend Scuttle called that a banded bulbous snarfblatt. And uh, said confidently that it was used for making fine music. Not knowing the purpose of something may not be a big deal. You know, there are certain things that you can use in multiple ways. A wrench, when necessary, can be used as a hammer. Amen. <laughs> we, uh, for a long time, we had a, a dishwasher that was broken. Uh, it actually would clean the dishes, but every so often on its own, it would decide just to pop the door open mid-cycle. And so we used a chair to keep the door closed. So not its intended purpose, but it actually worked in that regard. Um, and if you've ever been at a restaurant where the table you're sitting at's not level, you know, you could use napkins, you could use coasters, uh, sugar packets I think I've used to try to level the table. If you've got children, you could ask them to just, you know, bend down and kind of level the table that way if they're willing. Those are all fine. But here's the big question, though, right? If there's a purpose to our lives, I mean, if there actually is an objective purpose to why you and I are on the planet, and we don't know what it is, and we're not living in alignment with that purpose, then you and I run the risk of actually wasting our lives. It's not a small thing. If there is an objective purpose, and we don't know what it is, so we're not living in alignment with it, then we may be wasting our lives. And that, of course, would be a great tragedy. I think it's safe to say that anything that is created has a purpose. Most of us, over the course of our lives, have created things. Um, sometimes we've made things, uh, and the purpose is just to spend time, you know, just to waste the time or to uh, move the time along. Have you ever whittled something? And you're never going to really use this tool or whatever it is you're whittling. You're just kind of wasting time. But the purpose of that creation um, was to occupy the time it took to make it. But most of us are accustomed to making things and actually having a purpose. It may not be an exciting purpose, but it has a purpose. And so here's my assumption tonight, and I don't have the opportunity to defend it at length, uh, although there are resources on the Explore God website, the Moody Church uh, website as well, plenty of other articles and books and so forth that you can explore this further. But my assumption from the Bible, because we're giving the biblical perspective tonight, is that you and I were made, we were created by God for a purpose. And it's our responsibility to discover what that is and then to live in accordance with it. We did not just appear on the planet. 
right? That really is one of the alternatives. Either we were created by God or through evolution of one kind or another, you and I just appeared on the planet. Um, and I, so we were created. And I don't mean that we were created by our parents, although that's obviously true. This is not a message about where babies come from. So this is a message rather on why God did create us. And so going back before our parents, what the Bible says is that God created us. He created us for a purpose, a God-given purpose. So does life have a purpose? Extremely important question. If you think for a minute, what if life doesn't have a purpose? What if we really are actually here by accident? What if all of this doesn't make any difference? What if our sense of, of meaning and of right and wrong, the values that we hold, really is just sort of a chemical reaction in our brains? The things that we think are more valuable than others, it, it, it really isn't the case. It's just a product of evolution. There's really no ultimate meaning behind it. If you believe that, and if you play that out in your life, you will live a very different life than someone who actually believes what the Bible teaches. And I think really fundamentally, if there are no answers to the big questions of life, then fundamentally you and I are alone. We're, we're alone. And there is no reason why we're here. There's no unique place that we're going. And how to respond to things in our lives, uh, really it's just sort of up to us. There, there's, we're left with like the people in the video saying, well, you, you kind of have to create your own purpose for living. You have to decide, well, why am I here? What's the purpose of it all? And you may make a decision and say, well, this is why I'm here. But you may find that the course, throughout the course of your life that uh, things happen and you realize, well, that, that purpose, I have to throw that away. It's, it's, no, it's not valuable anymore. It's not good. There's three qualities I think make a worthy life purpose. Three qualities. This is not the outline for this, this evening, but uh, these are three things. I want you to evaluate your own life purpose on this way. Uh, using these qualities. The first one is it needs to be empowering, right? I think a good life purpose, a, a why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? When you discover what that is, it should empower you. At the very least, it should empower you to get off the couch, right? I mean, unless your purpose in life is to spend as much time on the couch, you know, as possible, but I'm hoping for better things for all of us. So it should empower you to do something with your life. One guy said, you know, I, I want to make a difference at least in one life, I hope, in more. Now, you've got to find your purpose and so that you can make the world a better place. Whatever it might be, it's going to empower you to do those things. Number two, I think this is, this is critical, your life purpose needs to be resilient. It needs to be able to, to withstand everything that would attack it in this life. So in other words, if your life purpose is completely done away with because you have some kind of a chronic illness or an injury, that's not a very sustainable life purpose. So if your life purpose is to be the best athlete on the planet, to get into the Olympics, whatever, um, great goals, that's kind of your life purpose. Uh, and you have a, a, a career-ending injury, you need a new life purpose. That one didn't last you very long. What about uh, divorce? It's a tragedy. And if your life purpose, I remember a friend of mine, he said, I, what I want to grow up and be is a great husband. And I think to this day, he is a great husband. But there's no guarantee he ever, ever would have gotten married. There's no guarantee there's, his relationship with his wife would have been a good one. It's no guarantee that they would have stayed together. So if divorce capsizes your life purpose, you're going to need a new one. What about bankruptcy? Many people's life purpose is to be as rich as they can. And with all the comforts that uh, come from being wealthy, but uh, we have very little control over that, right? 
there's so many things that, that can throw us financially. Um, having children can throw you financially. And your children needing dental work and your children wanting to eat every day. And they want new clothes because they got bigger. Yeah, they can take the money right out of your pockets, can't they, kids? <laughs> That's not why they're here. So bankruptcy is one of the things that actually, bankruptcy and other financial setbacks are things that actually can eliminate someone's life purpose. And the big one, actually, the big one that can probably do it all in is death. If your life purpose ends with death and there is a life to come, an eternity to come, then your life purpose won't have helped you very much, will it? In fact, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. Pastor Larry this morning preached from an Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. It's this odd name. It gets its name from the, the preacher who wrote the book, uh, Solomon, son of David. And what he did, he was the wealthiest and the wisest man who ever lived, the Bible says. And so he had this unique opportunity that you and I will never have. He could pursue every purpose in life apart from a relationship with God everything that you and I would be tempted to pursue apart from a relationship with God, and he could see whether or not it would work. Could you actually live a meaningful, purposeful life with any of these things? And so one of the, one of the things he tried was wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. He just wanted to live as wisely as he possibly could. His conclusion to that was, for in much wisdom there is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And it really is true because the world is a mess. And the more you know about the world, the sadder you're going to be. Things are just, as you know, things are chaotic. Things are evil. The more you find out about it, wisdom and knowledge may, may help you personally, but the more you're, you're aware of, the more you realize things are broken. Things cannot be the way they in, were intended to be. Number two is work. If you love what you do, you can find meaning in that. There are people who are workaholics. They'd rather be at work than at home. And they find great meaning and satisfaction in that. Related to that is just some measure of success. You know, maybe you're getting, um, you're getting promoted. You're getting uh, uh, words of affirmation all the time. People think, oh, you're doing a phenomenal job. You are a great whatever. You're the best plumber. You're the, you're the employee of the month, whatever it might be that you're going for. And for a little while, that, that could satisfy you. But Solomon noted that, that that also is meaningless, ultimately. Wealth, he had more money than we will ever have, more money than you could ever need, fundamentally doesn't make him happy. Didn't, didn't satisfy him. Uh, there's actually a really sad story, as you pro probably have heard, that uh, uh, Jeff Bezos and his wife, the uh, CEO of Amazon, they're divorcing. And I read a little bit of an article that his wife said a few years ago, and she said, yeah, being this wealthy uh, is wonderful. It allows me to do really some wonderful things in my life, but it doesn't define who I am. Um, she said, you know, it, it was her marriage. She was one of the things she pointed out, having a husband that I love uh, and other relationships that, he had, that she has that really gives meaning to her life. Well, obviously, it's, it's tragic for her. She'll still have the wealth, but her marriage is ending. Power and influence are another thing that, uh, that many of us think will satisfy us in some way. If I have more power, more influence, uh, I can accomplish more things, that's great. Another one, probably one of the most popular ones, I think is pleasure, Right? I mean, at the end of the day, if you and I could get what we wanted, we'd just say, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I want to be able to, uh, to eat and drink the best foods uh, that are available. I'd love to live in a nice house with one of those massage chairs, you know, that reclines. I want a huge screen TV. Maybe the entire wall is a TV. Uh, 
I'd like a big yard with a lot of toys. Servants would be nice. Um, you know, Solomon wrote that he, I mean, 700 wives, as Pastor Larry pointed out this morning. I had never thought about that, 700 birthdays, 700 anniversaries. There, there's some obvious issues with that. Uh, but what he said was this. He said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. You and I can't say that. Because every time we try to do some pleasure, there's somebody going, ah, no, you don't. No, you don't. There's, there's certain obstacles to us being able to say that. He said it because he could do it, and he, his conclusion, it's all meaningless. It's a phrase that repeats through the book of Ecclesiastes. It's like chasing after the wind. I mean, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? It's just like chasing after the wind. None of these things can satisfy us other than temporarily. And you want to know why? Because you and I were made for much more than that. And that's the bottom line. The reason these things don't satisfy, the reason that you can be successful in your career, and we hear people saying this, and say, that, that's it? I got everything I wanted. I got success. I got fame. I got wealth. That's all there is to life? They realize that that, that wasn't enough. It's not what we were created for. There is no ultimate meaning in any of it. And you and I, 99% of the people on the planet, if not more, will never experience any of that. We won't be at the top of our field. We won't have more than enough money you know, than we know what to do with. We won't be able to, to uh, have all the pleasure that we want. And then ultimately, even if we achieve as much of that as we like, let's say we live a life that, that has as much of those things as we can. We're like, okay, this is pretty good. You know, the, the, the reality is, is you're only going to have it for a very short period of time. And then you're going to die. I mean, I hate to break it to you. Uh, and the older you get, the less you're going to be able to enjoy any of those things. That can't possibly be why we're on earth. For, for pleasure, for things that don't ultimately satisfy, for something that's not significant enough for how we were created. And then Solomon goes on to say that no matter what you've amassed, you're going to have to pass it along to somebody. Could be a child, it could be a coworker, and they could screw everything up that you just did. What you spent your life accumulating, um, they could destroy it in almost no time. I wonder about people who spend years collecting things, whether it's they're collecting stamps or something like that, and then they, they give that to somebody in their will who has no interest in that at all. You know? I mean, they're thinking, maybe I can sell it for something or I'm going to take it down to goodwill. All of the years, all of the effort, all of the passion, ultimately it meant nothing. So here's what I want to do. I want to go through three truths tonight, kind of quickly. Three truths about you and me that give us insight from the Bible, from God's word, on what our purpose is. You know, if you want to know what the purpose of something is, you go back to the creator of that thing, right? The creator is the one who knows. And so we're really going back to the, our creator from God's word, the Bible. So the first truth is this. We were made in the image of God, right? We were made in the image of God. You've probably heard that before. Uh, there's a verse, uh, actually Genesis 1, through 27. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first most important point is that we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, the short version of it is 
that in every way that we are like God, we are made in his image. And people have talked about this over the years. They actually debate this, um, trying to figure out exactly what does that mean. And I think rightly and partly, uh, people point to our, our rational abilities. Uh, God is rational. He's a thinking God. He's a reasoning God. And we are, you know, for the most part. Uh, God is creative. And we are creative as well, right? Uh, so we get a glimpse of God's creative abilities in the creative abilities of other people that we see around us. Morally, we're like God. You know, uh, somebody pointed out that, you know, you don't see law courts in the animal kingdom. You know, they're, they're not adjudicating things. Uh, we have a sense of right and wrong given to us by God that's reflective of who he is. Uh, also spiritual, we are spiritual, we'll, we'll live forever. Uh, we have that spiritual component of our desire to know uh, where we come from and to know the spiritual world. We are emotional and so on. So in all those different areas, rational, creative, moral, spiritual, emotional, and probably others, we are like God. We are made in God's image. It's what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom, right? That we are uniquely made by God. But God also made us carefully and purposefully. Listen to Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14. It says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God designed us uniquely, fashioned us together. Uh, Jesus is trying to encourage his people, uh, his disciples, don't, don't worry about you know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, the, the common things that we would worry, are we going to have enough at the end of my life? You know, there's that one retirement commercial uh, that I, I remember. It's you know, kind of giving the, the length of years you might live and how long your money's going to last. And the, the longer, you know, it looks like you're going to outlive your money by quite a few years, right? That's when you turn the channel. Uh, he's saying, don't worry about that. And, and the, one of the passages that uh, says that is Luke chapter 12, verse 7, where Jesus says, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are worth more than many sparrows. So it's often been joked that, you know, God knows the hair uh, on our head and has to recount if we're losing our hair, right? He knows this that intimately and that personally. And there's something really profoundly cool about that, isn't there? You and I weren't randomly made. We were made by God to be like him, to reveal to one another what God is like. You know, maybe you've heard somebody say before, either to you or somebody else, you've done something kind, you've helped somebody out in some way, and they say, you're like an angel, you know, the idea being like, you, you, have, you have reflected the supernatural to me. You've revealed the supernatural to me. And, you know, God is invisible. We don't hear his voice audibly. So if he's real, and I believe that he is, he is going to show his love. He's going to show his care, his grace in our lives through other people. And that's why he made us in his image. I, I've often wondered that this idea of image, when, when we're trying to figure out what that means, we go to these questions, well, in what ways are we like God? I was reading an article about this, and I want to read uh, from, uh, from this author who, who made a really clever, I think, insightful point on what does it mean that God made us in his image, and why would he do that? So he said this, if you create an image, if you make a sculpture of someone, you do it to display something about that someone, right? You put it in the square in the middle of town, and you want people to look at it. You want them to notice it to think about that person, to think something about them, that they were strong or noble or wise or courageous or something. He said, now, what would it mean if you created seven billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world? 
which is what God has done, right? Every one of us made in God's image, and the population of the world now is close to 7.6 billion. God created 7.6 billion statues of himself, and he put them all over the world. Why would he do that? It would mean that you would want people to notice you. You would want people to see you. God created us in his image so that we would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. That's why you and I were created in the image of God. And that's part of our purpose in life is to reflect what God is like by how we live, by how we talk. Number two, we were made for the glory of God. So we were made in the image of God. Number two, we were made for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, six through seven says this. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. He's gathering his people back. Everyone who is called by my name, and here's the key, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You and I were created for the glory of God. It's something that the Bible talks about regularly. Regularly saying, you and I were created for the glory of God. Now, what does that mean? Quickly, it it sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? And it may even sound a bit egotistical. God created us for his glory. Okay, so what does he want us to do now? Kind of reminds me like when my dad used to say, hey, Bill, let's mow the lawn. And he wouldn't touch the lawnmower. So the let's was really, Bill, mow the lawn, you know? It didn't, it didn't sound like, hey, let's, you know, father, father, son time there. God did not create us because he needs anything from us. He didn't need anything else when he didn't need anything back then, doesn't need anything now. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't bored. Uh, he created us in order to share his glory with us, which really simply defined it's his beauty and his majesty. He wanted us to experience that. So it's not as some people assume that God created us so that he could show off how great he is so that his struggling self-esteem could be picked up, right? Some people think that's, that's what the Bible is teaching. He did not create us for his benefit. Primarily, it's for our benefit, right? He created us for our benefit. In other words, it's God's generosity, not his vanity, that led him to create us. People with a generous heart, right, you desire to to help and to encourage and to bless other people. And if you have resources, time, money, furniture, whatever it might be, that you can bless someone with, then you're motivated to do that. And that really is the nature of God. He is more generous than any of us. Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I hope that, that most of us have experienced that in some way. I mean, have you ever bought something for somebody and you, were, you thought it was, this was the perfect gift and you were so excited to give it to them and you wanted to make sure that you saw their reaction, you know, that you, that you either videotaped it, you made sure that you were there. I, I remember giving a gift to somebody uh, a, a long time ago and I sent it in the mail to a, a friend and I was so anxious to hear back what they thought of this gift and uh, never really did actually. They weren't as impressed as I was by the gift. But I, was, I so desired to give it to them That is God's desire in creating us for his glory. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You know what I think that means? That means the stars were created for you individually to enjoy. The sunsets that you love, the sunrises you occasionally get up and see. 
The mountains, the rivers, the beauty, the flowers. God created those for you so that you personally would see his glory, that you would enjoy that, and really that it would draw you to himself, that you would see in those things the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And then you would see in relationships, I think even with pets, sometimes pets more than people, right? That in the animal kingdom, we, we see the, the, uh, the love and the affection of God. And God puts people in your lives who love you and who care for you and who will serve you in some way, who will take care of you to show you a glimpse of how God feels about you. Although imperfectly, they show his love to you. God's creativity, his beauty, his power, his majesty, his love, they're all on display all around us so that you and I would appreciate God for who he is and we would reflect back on him and praise him. So when you and I don't acknowledge God, we don't acknowledge that we were created to glorify God, that as we image him to one another, we reveal what he's like, that in our lives we seek to show how glorious God is, to one another, then we're not fulfilling the purpose for which you and I were created. It really fundamentally comes down to a relationship. That's what all these things are pointing to. Not just that we know God exists, but that we personally know him. We have a relationship with him. The third, the third truth about you and me is that we were made to enjoy God, right? So we were made in his image. When God created us, when he designed us, he designed us uh, uniquely and carefully with the purpose of showing us what he's like. He also designed us for his glory. And now we know that God's word says that we were made to enjoy him. There's a, a passage in Psalm 63. Uh, I think just verse three is gonna appear on your screen. I wanna read verses one through three though. This, this, is, this is a constant theme through the Bible. And it gives us the idea of how you and I are designed by God to respond to him, Right? And, and by the way, I, I think this is one of the most fundamentally important truths about the Christian faith, about why you and I were created. Created to enjoy God. So beginning of verse 1, Psalm 63 says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And now verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, to get to the point where we have a relationship with the one who created us, where we would say of that relationship that your love to me is better than life, meaning anything that life could offer. Anything that I could be given, I would rather have your love than anything the world offers. In fact, it's more important to me, it's more valuable than my own life. And actually, the Apostle Paul gives us examples of that. You know, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be with the Lord is far better than being here. And it's for all eternity as well. To me, that, that is a as wonderful a discovery about our purpose in life as it can possibly be. Um, some of you, probably may, many of you remember the, uh, the old movie now, the old science fiction movie, The Matrix, where the human purpose uh, was to serve as a battery, right? Humans were just batteries creating energy for these machines. I mean, what if that was actually our purpose? 
You know, what if the Bible actually said, you read the Bible and you go, oh, actually your purpose is just to serve the Lord. And then when you're done uh, from exhaustion, you die and we just kind of bury you in an unmarked grave and that's it. That's your purpose. That'd be very depressing. You and I have an amazing purpose and that purpose is to enjoy God. There is a, uh, a catechism. You may be familiar with the term catechism. It's really, it's a tool to teach uh, uh, religious things. The Westminster Shorter Catechisms, one of those catechisms, and uh, my wife and I used it uh, uh, for a season with our kids. And the first question in this catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the purpose of man? What is the life's purpose of, of men and women? Why are we here? And the answer that they came up with based on God's word is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Isn't that wonderful? That is your purpose. You are put on earth by God to glorify him. In other words, to show how glorious he is by who you are and your response to all of life, but then to enjoy God, not just in this life, but in the life to come. The Bible says that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As one person described it, that we, we're hardwired for pleasure, right? Anyone not like pleasure? That's what I thought. Uh, all of us love pleasure. And sometimes we think, well, that's, that's, a, bad, that's a bad thing. Actually, it's not a bad thing. It's cr- we were created by God to love pleasure, right? Now, that sounds like a dangerous thing, though, doesn't it? I mean, God created us with a strong appetite for pleasure, The problem is that you and I are satisfied with much less than the real pleasure God wants to give us. And so that's why we go after all these other things, right? We'll go after money. We'll go after success. We'll go after work. We'll go after human relationships. All those things are driving us to pleasure, but we're stopping miles and miles short of where we're intended to go. At God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 34 says this, 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what he wants to do. In every area of life, God wants us to experience maximum pleasure. Even in money, we think, well, God's not interested in money. But actually, God tells us to to pursue wealth that that can't be uh, stolen. You know, rust isn't going to get to it. What does he say? Store up your treasures in heaven. He's not opposed to treasure He wants us to stop settling for the kind of treasure that won't last. He wants us to stop settling for pleasure that doesn't last and brings guilt and shame. Man, I love that. I absolutely love that. I love the fact that the God that that created me wired me for pleasure because he's drawing me to himself because I cannot find any pleasure in the world that will satisfy me apart from him because there is none. And so that unsettledness that you and I feel if we don't know our creator, if we're not in a relationship with him, is something that, that is universally known. We sang about it earlier, right? Augustine had this, this well-known saying, this early church father, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And those of you in this room whose lives have been changed by Jesus at an older age, you've lived that life of restlessness. You've understood that maybe you had a measure of success. Maybe you've had things in this life that were supposed to satisfy you and you found out they didn't. Pascal put it this way, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator 
made known through Jesus Christ. That's it. That unsettledness that you feel if you don't know God through his son, Jesus Christ, it will never go away unless you come to know him. You were created for that. You are not living out your purpose. None of these other things can possibly fill you up. It's like trying to, to fill something that's got a hole in the bottom. You get, no matter how much stuff you put in, it's going to continue to leak. So here's, here's the question. Why is it, in light of this really amazing offer that God gives to us, it tells us, you, we, I made you in my image. I made you for my glory so that you could know me and enjoy me and experience uh, all that I have for you. You could enjoy me forever. Why do we reject that? I mean, what sane person would look at that and say, yeah, no, I think I'll take these passing pleasures, the rust, you know, and the things that get broken and so forth. I, bottom line, according to God's word, is you and I want to be king. We want to be queen, right? If it's our kingdom, if I rule it, it may not be as magnificent as God's, but I'm in charge. And that's fundamentally what we want. And the Bible calls that sin. This offer that God gives to us, this life's purpose, it is empowering. It is resilient. It lasts for all of life and for all of eternity. And it is true. And yet we reject it because we want to be in control. We want to call our own shots. We want to be the captain of our own ship, as it were. And the wonderful thing is, is that God doesn't just say, well, you know what, you're on your own. If that's the way you feel, that's too bad. God created us for this purpose. He extends that purpose to us. And then he shares that with us through many of these seven billion image bearers that he puts around the world. He gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And he calls us to himself. Many of us in this room have experienced that, right? That's why we would call ourselves followers of Jesus. That the Lord woos us to himself. Actually, the Bible uses language like a lover. God actually compares the relationship that he wants to have with us with that of a husband and his wife. And our response then is to love him to fulfill our purpose. You know, one of the best known verses, if not the best known verse in all of scripture is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what he wants. His son was given for the purpose of having, giving us eternal life. And then later on in John's gospel, he says this. Now this is eternal life, right? Not just everlasting life, not just a life that never ends, but this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So let me close with this. If you were to evaluate your current life purpose, and it is not to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, then there is no way that your life purpose is true or resilient or empowering. But God is offering you that today through his son Jesus. Our God is a God who seeks to save those who are lost. There is hope for you. God is inviting you to himself. He's saying you don't have a purpose that is a worthy life purpose. It's not in line with how I created you, but I am offering you that tonight. And so my encouragement to you is simply to pray, to ask the Lord to help you know who he is, 
The biggest problem that you and I face so that we cannot fulfill our life's purpose as given to us by God is our rebellion against him. But that's the whole reason Jesus came to earth. It's the whole reason he died on the cross, that he could take our rebellion, take the punishment that you and I deserved on himself. So as you and I trust in him for that, we are then welcomed into God's family and can begin to fulfill the life purpose that God has given to us. Isn't that incredible? And it's one of the reasons why God continues to wait until Jesus returns. The Bible said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to trust in his son. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there's so much more that we could cover tonight from your word about the purpose that you have given us in our lives. And I thank you that you know every single person who is here tonight. You know them by name. You know everything about them. You know what they're thinking. You know what they've done. You know where they're going. And I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself. That for everyone here who is not living their lives for the glory of God and to enjoy you forever, would have their eyes open to see the emptiness, the futility of what they are currently living for. And that their eyes would be open to know the height and the depth and the breadth of your love personally for them. And that they would come to trust in Jesus, be reconciled to you. And then not to waste their lives, Father, but to live their lives according to your God-given purpose. I ask this for them and for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.